This show contains mature and sexual content matter, which may be inappropriate for some younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Get ready for Gaywire on CJSR, queer radio that recruits. Hi, JD. Hey, Alexa. Hey, we're Gaywire. We're Gaywire coming to you not live, thanks to online technology and recording and playing things later. Yeah. Uh, You're in your house. I'm in my house. Yeah, we're at a safe distance from each other. Yeah, we're about 15 blocks away around white. (laughs) Close to CGSR, too. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, So like we said last time, we're going to try to do one of these shows a month until things get back to however they, you know. The new normal. The new normal. Uh, So this is our May episode. So today we have like two big themes going on. Do we? Oh, I'm glad you're that organized. What are our themes? So the first one is like all the gay, queer, and trans distractions for you to watch if you're in isolation. Sure. Okay, then the second, maybe there's three themes. And then the second theme is um, all the supports out there for LGBTQ folks in isolation. Because our communities, uh, as it does, is coming together to support each other. We are related, yeah. And then the third is like a roundup of news, because the queer news doesn't stop. No, I mean, I quit reading the news, but I guess it's still going. So if you're like like me and you don't want to watch the news at all anywhere because you just don't want to hear about anything, then we will tell you what you missed. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to tell you, it actually... Alexa will tell you. Yeah. Uh, it actually worked out that I'm just looking at it now. I have a story from Edmonton, a story from another province, a Canadian story, and an international story. So we're going to go everywhere. Wow. Yeah. You've done some preparation. Yeah. In that I all wrote. I've done is watch a lot of Netflix. No, that's that's all you needed to do. That was your. Uh, that's that my was your job. That's my job. So, do you want to start with popular culture? Yeah, let's start with the movies. Well, yeah, movies and a TV show. Okay. So you remember? I actually talked about this on the show. I think it was late 2019. There was a BBC article about the uh, history of one of uh, Los Angeles's and maybe America's oldest or longest running queer bookstores, Circus of Books, uh, closing just uh, recently and that they were making a documentary about it. Well, that documentary came out and it's now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So it's called Circus of Books and it's uh, directed by Rachel Mason. It's a documentary. She does the interviews and the filming, and she's the daughter of the couple that bought this basically gay porn store. I mean, it was it sold books, but it mostly sold porn. If you watch the documentary, mm-hmm. it was porn. And um, that was a long-running store, very popular. And this was a heterosexual 
couple with three kids who had basically no connection to the LGBT community so running this store. So they thought, yeah. yes, you've seen it. So you know that I think the documentary is just as much about the director's brother who turns out to be gay mm-hmm. uh, and hit the impact that it, the bookstore had on his life and his parents' surprising difficulty accepting his homosexuality um, after running one of America's most famous um, porn stores. And it also did chronicles their legal issues because they got um, taken to court for selling porn. And it has one of those good chronologies of queer rights um, to you know remind you that at one point it was almost impossible to get not just porn, but even gay books, like books that had queer themes uh, would have been classified as smut or whatever the word they used, and it, they were very hard to get. So, I mean, they were providing an important resource for the community, and the store was also a place where people met each other. So mm-hmm. it was an important part of the community. So it's, a, it's an interesting documentary. What did you think about it? I thought that, the, like, I was going in it, you know, wanting to, like, because I... The, I think that bookstores, and I think it's fair to say that a lot of people do, um, play a huge role in marginalized communities, right? So like feminist bookstores, queer bookstores, like did a lot for our communities in terms of sharing knowledge and um, and sharing resources that were largely unacceptable. So I was watching it for that. But the thing I actually took away from it um, was like the complicated relationship that the mom had with her gay son and how she... Um, how she came to sort of um, do a lot of honest self-reflection about uh, this this sort of tension between the fact that she owned and ran and like supported her family with this gay porn and bookstore, and also they were they were like producing and making gay porn, which I didn't they, know either. They made some quite famous porn movies there. If uh... If you are well versed in the history of gay porn, you might recognize some of the titles. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, so it, it turns out so that like I don't. I mean, you know, spoilers or whatever. Like, um, I feel like with documentaries, I always feel like spoilers are ridiculous because it's history and you can look it up. So, uh, anyway, so it it she she sort of goes through this this a lot of introspection and she thinks about like why she's having an issue with this. And a lot of it is she, she connects to being, um, uh, to her religion. Um, but then she becomes heavily involved with PFLAG. So parents and friends of gays and lesbians. And now PFLAG chapters also include the tra- uh, parents and friends of trans folks. Um, and she ends up running these groups. And like, I, I said to the person I was watching it with, I was like, I don't think that I've ever heard a bad thing about PFLAG, just that they're like completely endearing. I don't know. Can we sidebar this? Has anyone ever said anything bad about PFLAG? Um, my mom started a PFLAG chapter when I came out in our town. So, I mean, we can't, I can't slide uh, PFLAG off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think like that is like, it just, it's just sort of an example of allyship that's, that's really amazing. Um, but that is what I took away from the movie that you see like this situation, which you think you would assume that that son of all sons would have an easy time, quote unquote, like 
coming out and he didn't and it it mm. was challenging for their family right so if it's challenging for like them what does that say all this sort of stuff um yeah i thought it was incredibly like interesting and challenged a lot of assumptions yeah and interesting update which um wasn't covered in the documentary or in the story that we covered last year and so there's no spoilers because we already read this whole thing out last year but <laughs> Uh, someone just texted me today, and this is actually true as of January, uh, famous porn director, Shishi LaRue, uh, bought Circus of Books, which you see closed down at the end of the documentary. Mm -hmm. She bought it and she's reopened it as Shishi LaRue's Circus. Okay. So it's still going. Wow. And what is, like, does it say what the focus of that store is? Um, I'm just looking at pictures. It looks like, I would say, fetish clothes, sex toys, uh, art. There's a gallery and there's probably porn and maybe there's a couple books. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, do people buy books anymore? I'm joking. Yeah. But um, No, and I think the interesting thing about it too, right, is that we talk a lot about like how the internet has changed gay bars but they were making the point of how the internet has changed porn, obviously, but bookstores, but also we know like blockbuster and movie stores, but they were sort of at the center of all three of those things that the three things yeah. that they were um, offering the community were now um, largely available online. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just looking at pictures online. It looks like a club, <laughs> but a club that's open during the day. There you go. Yeah. So looks cool. I mean, I would love to go see it. Piece of history. No, totally. And that's what I was thinking too. I didn't know that it closed when I was watching the documentary. And I had thought like, after this documentary comes out, that will be a tourist attraction. Yeah. So she's probably, you know, um, gonna do pretty well if she's opening it up again. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it stays open. Mm -hmm. So should we talk about the next documentary? Yeah. <laughs> So this one just came out this year, 2020. It's Secret Love. Mm -hmm. uh, it's made by uh, Ryan Murphy, who you know as the guy that made Glee, Nip Tuck, American Horror Story, New Normal, Feud, um, The Politician. So like everything that's gay on TV right now, he's been involved in it somehow. And he made a documentary, Secret Love, which is about two uh, women who are in a couple. They've been together for, I think, together for 65 years when the documentary starts. Mm -hmm. And it takes place over a couple of years. So they, I think by the end, they've been together for almost 70 years. They're living together in the States uh, in a house. And one or both of them are reach an age where they need to be in some kind of assisted living and it's about their relationship with one of them has a niece who's very vocal on <laughs> them moving into assisted living or some kind of seniors complex doesn't it have to be assisted living and spoiler alert in the first five minutes they say that they're going to go look at uh, seniors' residences in Edmonton. Yeah. When they said they were going to Edmonton, I was like, oh, this is like a Ryan Murphy docu documentary and it's actually going to go to Edmonton? Yeah. 
And did you notice what they used for the establishing shot of Edmonton? No, what was it? Oh, I noticed it right away. So this documentary, when it's like, we're going to Edmonton, the establishing shot is the St. Albert grain elevator. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you think of Edmonton, <laughs> you just think of grain elevators. No, I know. I thought in that moment, I was like, yeah, this is, they're painting a very specific picture of the Canadian prairies. Yeah. Yeah. Bucolic. Okay, so that's your synopsis of the movie. Can I tell you what mine is? That, that is, yeah, that is, that's all, that's my, that's my synopsis of what it's about. I didn't say what happens in it, but uh, how, right. how, did, how did you view it? Okay, so I was so incredibly excited about this movie because in the preview, the part that they play up is the fact that one of the women was in the original American Women's Baseball League that is the topic of a league of their own. Right. So it was like my, all of my childhood fantasies coming to fruition that there was a woman actually, like, of course there were queer women in this, in this baseball league, but that they actually told the story of one who ended up having a partner for 65 years. Yeah. So I was like super excited about this, but I was a bit disappointed by the movie. <laughs> you thought there wasn't enough baseball? Yeah. <laughs> No, there was a lot of baseball. They're like I, 90 years old. You want to see them <laughs> play baseball? Yeah, I wanted to see them. No, but in, in all seriousness, I sort of, um, so the documentary is largely from the perspective of the niece, right? And I think it's like the niece's family who produced or made the documentary. The niece seems to talk to the camera more than the two women do. Mm-hmm. So, so then it, it sort of made me like, from her perspective. Right. And one of the opening sort of um, hooks of the movie is of the documentary is that these women have been together for 65 years and the niece only found out three years ago. So they only came out to the niece like you're 60, whatever. Right. They had been together for decades and decades. And then it sort of comes up. There's a lot of attention paid to um, how did they live in secret? What was going on? Like, why didn't they tell us? Why did they have to move to the United States? Like all of this sort of stuff. And it's, it, it came across as these, these two women do have an incredible life story, but it was filtered through the perspective of these people who had only put the pieces together three years ago. Right. So there was just a lot of like, I, I sort of wish like, why can't we hear the story of two women who like were, you know, met as they didn't meet as part of the baseball league, but they were together when she was playing in the baseball. They league. met because of hockey. They, yeah, they were they met hockey of, and they were from Moose Jaw, right? Yeah. So we have this like story of two queer women who like are both from Moose Jaw who like grew up together and started dating each other and then like had this incredible life where they moved to the United States. And there's just like these parts in the movie where it's kind of disappointing if I'm allowed to rant. So there's one part where like the, the niece is trying to get them to come up to Canada to like be with their quote family. But the two women keep referring to the fact that they've like have chosen family in Chicago. Right. And this is where they have like a lot of their like network. And at one point the niece is going through their stuff and finds a bunch of photos of them on these like, 
trips and there's all of these other people in these photos which are the people that they travel with and spend their life with but they're not really like discussed in the documentary as this incredible life and network that these two women created over the past 70 years right mm -hmm. and then there's like another part where it just sort of seems like it's from the perspective of straight people where they're they're again going through the two women's things and they're like reading the love letters that they wrote to each other and the niece notices that like the bottom of the love letters the signature is ripped off and she's like why would why would the signature be ripped off and i feel like that was a moment where a lot of queer people watching it would have instantly been like because you can't that that would have been very dangerous to know that you know if somebody put those pieces together that like the letter was coming from another woman right so it's like who who is the documentary for is it a feel good documentary for for straight folks about like queers that have been together for 70 years or is it like a documentary where queer folks where we have so few examples of people of like people who have been through all of those things who can still tell us those stories right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean i think yeah the, the target audience isn't isn't uh 60 or 95 year old lesbians mm -hmm. they know their history mm. i mean it's it's to, it's to it helps normalize queer relationships i mean there is the question of you know they get asked why aren't you married yeah and they there's i mean i won't spoil anything that develop, happens in the documentary i think people should still watch it uh yeah. but there is a separate scene where the two women are with another a male couple who are just as old i think mm -hmm. and they're like you know do you want to get married like no do you want to get married like no we've been together for like 50 60 years um but it does excuse me it does bring up some interesting points though because because they're in the united states um and they want they're debating either staying in the states and getting housing together or coming to Canada to get housing together, it, they almost have to get married. Well, if they wanted, I mean, they... This is, yeah, I mean, there's inheritance issues. There's cohabitation issues. Um, it, it raises some interesting points about how the state still privileges married, like legally married couples, uh, especially when you're crossing borders. Uh, that they almost have to get, for some things they almost have to get married just to protect their interests. Mm -hmm. So it was just, for me, it was interesting to see, like, you know, even if you've been together for 65 years, people will still ask you, why aren't you married? Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay. right? Like, like you have that to look forward to, Alexa, just so you yeah. know. <laughs> uh, no, but that's like, that's a huge point, right? Like they, I mean, it doesn't matter how long anyone is together, but the fact that like they're together for 65 years and they still have to answer that question of why they aren't married. And there could be like hundreds of reasons why they aren't. One of which might be, well, we, we did this and we had a, you know, a very like good relationship and we didn't need to get married. And also you didn't let us get married for however many years, right? Like <laughs> true. You know now now we can yeah, yeah. like <laughs> um but anyway so i mean like it's a it's a really interesting i think it is interesting for the connections that are there 
it's it's really cool to see that like she was she wasn't a Rockford Peach, but she was on another team, and uh, just like her stories of like being on the team and what it meant and all those sorts of things, and also how they managed to like, I think even the stories of how they how they saw each other and how they were able to connect with each other um, largely in secret for many, many years. Like all of that is incredibly interesting and I think needs to be remembered in our communities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. I, <laughs> I mean, I didn't find that the baseball content was lacking. I thought it was <laughs> baseball and overall I enjoyed it. I mean, it, to me, it also said like, some of the same issues that my grandparents faced about, you know, we don't want to move out or you have to move out or where are we going to live and what kind of housing do you want to live into? Uh, that same issue apparently applies to queer couples too. So. No, um, and I mean the part too that, um, that was really like important to see, um, is that at one point they're, they're at a senior's care facility and they say to the person who's operating or giving them the tour of the facility, like, um, you know, do you have any other gay people here? And she says, not that I know of. And they say, would it be an issue? And she says, well, did you see that everyone in the hall said hello to us? And then one of them sort of like rolls her eyes and is like, but you don't understand. Like, sure, they could say hello in the hall, but if they, you know, do you actually have any kind of policies or programming to make it so that we're comfortable and safe here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That, that's an issue that's different definitely for same sex couples. And we hear about it a fair bit in like housing studies uh, and, and people who look at study aging, uh, the impact on queer couples who are now moving into seniors housing, uh, and living with people who some of them have ne probably never met a queer person in their lives that they know of. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the, definitely the impact of uh, moving into shared housing for queer seniors is a, is a huge issue right now that we're only just starting to understand and uh, identify as a, something that has to be uh, addressed. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. That's two that, movies. That's two. Next was a documentary too. The, the last one is fiction. So a, a documentary, um, I don't know if you saw, you didn't see this one, Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood. Mm -mm. It's uh, based, so it's a 2017 documentary, just came onto Netflix, and you'll know why when I talk about the TV show. Uh, just, just recently, or at least Canadian Netflix, maybe they had it on American Netflix for a while. And it's based on Scotty Bauer's 2012 book, which I also read, and it was called Full Service. This guy was a gas station attendant in the 40s, 50s, even 60s and 70s, in, uh, in the, kind of the golden age of Hollywood and then a bit after that. He would find sex partners for celebrities. And he could do, you know, he would do it, discreetly although he wrote a book that explained everything and so i mean well that's my point in 2012 he wrote a book and he listed everything he said who had sex with who um, you know i he got guys for these celebrities women for these celebrities so outed tons of people uh, who were all dead 
So it was controversial when it came out, 2012. We might have talked about this a little bit on the show. I can't remember. Uh, some people were mad that he outed dead people, and he I mean he gave also details about things that people were into. It wasn't just these people were gay. It was these people were into these kind of acts. And people say, well, they're dead. They can't defend themselves. And his point, which he made in the book and again in the documentary, is that, you know, these are just normal things that people do, but they, could, they couldn't talk about it back then. They would lose their jobs. They could get arrested. Nowadays, it's the kind of thing that you would talk about, and it wouldn't be a big deal. Mm-hmm. I'm just letting them be who they want to be and letting people know who they were. Mm-hmm. So controversial uh, approach. And the documentary is kind of a summary of, a, of the book. It doesn't get into a lot of details, but he does list some of the people that he got, uh, that he found people for. Mm. And it's everyone. And, and some, of it, some, of it, some of it's unbelievable. The amount of stuff that he says is like, you think everybody was gay, but... So that brings me to the last item, mm-hmm. which is the TV show Hollywood, which is very loosely based on Scotty Bowers. It, it, the central character is one of these young guys just getting out of the military, goes to work at a gas station, and the guy who owns the gas station gets him to have sex with famous celebrities. And guess who made the TV show? Ryan Murphy. Yes, I know. <laughs> we people like some people say that like. Hollywood is controlled by the gay mafia. If there is a gay mafia, it's one person named Ryan Murphy. <laughs> well, I've heard that Ellen is also, anyway, that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we bad rumors about her lately, but we're not going to get into that. So. All uh, uh, right. I don't yeah. know. So anyway, it's a, it's a cute show. I've only watched one episode, but it's got Patty Lapone in it. So that's all the reason you need to watch it. And there's some other people who aren't Patty Lapone. <laughs> and it is, I mean, it's super gay. And uh, yeah, I've only seen one episode. So if it tanks after the second episode, then I will revise my review so far. But I found it interesting and enjoyable. Yeah. Was the, is, so is it sort of um, like a bit fantastical or is it, does the show like, I only watched the preview. So everything in Hollywood's fantastical. It's not, it's, <laughs> Hollywood in the 1940s. It's magical. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly, that answers people. my question, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, no, thanks for those four uh, things that folks can watch. And then you have another uh, event that people can tune oh, in. Oh, yeah. If, if you want to watch other movies that say you don't have Netflix, which is a legitimate thing. Mm-hmm. You can watch uh, movies online because Northwest Fest, which is Edmonton's uh, nonfiction film festival, and which also create, led to Rainbow Visions, the LGBTQ-themed film festival, won't be airing their films live this year at Metro Cinema that they usually do. However, they are going to be showing some movies online. And the movies are all showing uh, from May 8th to May 17th. So if you're hearing this on May 7th, then you have a day to figure out what you want to see. I am not an expert on how online things work. 
so I don't want to lead people astray. Go to northwestfest.ca to understand how you can watch these movies online. But let me just talk about a few of them. Mm-hmm. On May 8th, uh, they're showing Unsettled, Seeking Refuge in America. And Unsettled is a feature-length documentary revealing the untold stories of LGBT refugees and asylum seekers who have fled intense persecution from their home countries and are attempting to resettle in the United States. Second movie I'll point out is Changing the Game, also starting May 8th. Uh, This one says, transgender high school athletes from across the country challenge the boundaries of perceptions of fairness and discrimination. Next, one that I think we've heard of before, Gay Chorus Deep South. This might have played once at Metro. So this one is in response to a wave of discriminatory anti-LGBTQ laws and the diverse, sorry, divisive 2016 election. The San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus embarks on a tour of the American Deep South. And last one, this one definitely has shown at Metro recently because I saw it. Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Scream Queen highlights actor Mike Patton's time in the horror spotlight as a closeted young star and gives him the opportunity to set the record straight about the controversial sequel, which ended his career just as it was about to begin. And I, I saw that one, I quite enjoyed it. I'm not a big horror film fan, but I learned a lot about the nightmare of Elm Street mm-hmm. and how homophobic phobic Hollywood was in the 80s, which I probably could have guessed. So um, go to northwestfest.ca to understand how this works. It runs from May 8th to May 17th. These movies are all starting May 8th, so you can probably see them on other days in that time period. There's a three-film discount. If you purchase tickets to three different films, you automatically receive a multi-pack discount. And yes, that's all I've got on that. But do check those out. Support the uh, local arts sector that is hurting right now because they are having a hard time showing their art. Mm-hmm. I know Metro is also filming some movies online. So check out what's happening at Metro Instagram and the website. will let you know what's coming up. Yeah, and then speaking of ways to uh, help local uh, organizations and businesses, uh, there's a number of queer businesses that are that are part of a specific campaign, right? Yeah. Oh, you want to have a t-shirt thing? Yeah. Sure. So uh, Print Machine, which is, uh, it prints t-shirts, it's just off White Avenue, has a, a campaign going to support local small businesses they uh, are printing t-shirts featuring different local businesses or nonprofits that you're familiar with. And some of the proceeds from these t-shirts will all be pooled and then split amongst all the businesses. You can learn more. The campaign is called Here for Good. So if you go to hereforgood, one word, dot printmachine, which is one word, dot CA, you can see all the different t-shirts that you can buy. Every time I go to the website, there are more and more. I can't possibly list off all of them. I will list the ones which are friends of CGSR because they also support the radio station. So if you want to get t-shirts featuring uh, businesses like Barber Ha, The Common, Daddy's Diner, Sugared and Spiced, 
Buried Edition Comics and Culture, Gilded Rabbit, Rabbit, sorry, Dragon Fish and Chips, Little Plant Shop, Auto Food and Drink, River City Revival House, also friends of our show, Metro Cinema, uh, The Quilt Bag, who we've had on the air for a radio uh, interview, Ponytails and Horseshoes, you can get all their t-shirts. Also, some other friends of our show, Evolution Wonder Lounge and Traveling Tickle Trunk. We love all of them. Yeah. Yes, we love our guests yeah. and our supporters. Yeah, they've been uh, uh, a number of those uh, places like the Tickle Trunk and Metro have been great supporters to our show over the years. And so, um, yeah, I think if you have, you know, the money to get a t-shirt, um, you know, the, all those all those places would, would greatly appreciate the support. Yeah, and shirts are nineteen ninety five. Mm. So, so that's one way of supporting. Uh, stuff. Didn't you have something too? A lot of um, different community organizations have been figuring out ways to support folks in the community. Um, and so, uh, I mean, there's, there's international uh, campaigns and we're also going to talk about some local ones. Um, but for example, GSAs, Gay Straight Alliances, and QSAs, Queer Straight Alliances, uh, across the, provinces, uh, the province are um, reaching out and uh, contacting students who they've been involved with um, and hosting um, online Zoom calls. Uh, so this is being reported by Extra News, which I'll plug again is doing excellent long news stories now. But there's an example of like uh, Strathcona Tweedsmere School in Okotoks um, had 16 students, staff and alumni log on to a Zoom call um, for their GSA uh, to have like a meeting that would be as, you know, similar as possible in these times to what they would do in a regular GSA meeting, you know, and also indicating how incredibly important these support systems are uh, for LGBTQ2S students, because, you know, that might have been the only place that they felt comfortable talking about these things or um, exploring uh, different parts of themselves. Um, in their school environment and might be feeling isolated now that they're at home and don't have that connection. Um, so if you know a student in your life um, that they uh, could reach out to their GSA at their school for support. Um, but at the same time, uh, places like the Pride Center of Edmonton are also hosting virtual meetups. And you have a little bit more information on that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, yeah, I've got a poster off uh, Instagram. So it's called Queer to queer to queer isolation support. So I'll read the poster out. So they're offering emotional support. We're in this together. Let us know if you would like a 30 minute weekly supportive listening calls to make sure you stay connected to community during these difficult times. And under information and referral, they ask, do you have questions about where and how you can access support? Let us know. And under assistance, they say, if you're unable to home for groceries and their necessities let us know so we can help you out so they say we want to make sure that you're receiving the support if it is needed you can reach the pride center by phone or email from monday to thursday 12 to 4 p.m and they'll schedule a time to talk chat or set up other arrangements if you want to reach out to the pride center you can call 780-488 three two three four or email it at hello at and this is one long word pride center of edmonton 
www.ghostbusters.ca. There's that. If you just want to talk to someone or have some kind of connection, do reach out to the Pride Center. Also coming up, or just I guess this is ongoing, is Queer Out, which is the youth program, has moved online to Discord. So that's for youth ages ages 13 to 17. It's from 5 to 6 p.m. And youth ages 18 to 24 is from 6 to 7 p.m. And you can learn more about how to get onto their Discord chat by going to the Pride Center website or Instagram. And the last one that I see here is uh, Queer Emergency Supports. That's weekly on Mondays from 5 to 7 p.m. Includes mental health supports, clothing, food, LGBTQ refugee support, and assistance for income support applications. So if you have questions about that, do let the Pride Center know and they will have, uh, it says coming up this week is uh, warm coffee, food and clothing. Access is uh, permitted for up to 10 people at a time to help uh, with uh, si group size restrictions. And they look forward to connecting with people. Amazing. And that is at, uh, sorry, the address is 11725 Jasper Avenue. Yep. Oh, and sorry, Alexa, I, I should say that's out of the Chew Project building. That's why it's on Jasper. I thought, this is not Jasper. Mm. This is the Pride Center working out of the Chew Project building, which is at 11725 Jasper Avenue. The Pride Center is near there, but that's not the address. So don't go there thinking that's the Pride Center. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh no and that's like that's fantastic that they're offering um all those supports so you have this you have like the gsa supports um for youth obviously and the pride center has youth supports as well as adults um and i did if you're if you're sort of in a situation where you're like i just you know uh don't need to connect to that many resources but i want to connect to people in general um there is a, a new um, uh, service um, that has been um, put together by the first non-binary BBC presenter, and it's called the Validation Station. It's for trans uh, folks who are stuck at home uh, during this coronavirus uh, situation. So it's put on by um, radio host Jacob Edward, uh, who made history last Christmas as the first non-binary presenter on BBC Radio One. Um, and so what this service does is um, it sends a daily feel-good message uh, for the trans community. So I went on the website, you just need to search validationstation.net. Um, you put your first name and then you put your phone number uh, and I checked and it is available uh, to folks living in Canada. And then you put your pronouns and say, sign me up and you'll get text messages um, with uh, affirming, positive, uh, good, good things to get you, uh, get you through this crisis a little bit. Um, and uh, it's free, you can stop it at any time, but if it's just something you wanna try out to see what it's like, um, that sounds really interesting and you should, you should give it a go. But it's just another example of ways that our community is trying to reach out to each other. Uh, That's cool. I'm looking yeah. it up right now. Yeah. Um, so why don't we take a break for some messages and then we'll come back with our queer news, uh, our queer news stories. Awesome. Cool. 
we love you. You are so welcomed here. You know, we as gay people, we get to choose our family. We get to choose the people we're around. I am your family. We are family here. RuPaul Charles. It's time for your spoonful of queer alphabet soup. I'm Damon, and today we're defining queer, a historically negative term for non-heterosexuals that has been reclaimed to refer with pride to people with diverse sexual preferences, orientations and habits, and gender identities. The term queer also has a political connotation attached to radical anti-oppressive activisms. This doesn't mean that you should shout this from your truck, unless you're queer and proud. Girl, it's your time Don't ever, ever change your mind Cause you're mine This is Vivek Shreya, author of Even This Page is White and She of the Mountains and one half of the music duo Too Attached. You're listening to Gaywire on CJSR. I'm never gonna hide you Never gonna fight you again not for any man. Hey, JD. Hey, Alexa. We're back. We are. We're Gaywire, and uh, we're going to bring you some actual queer news right now. Everything that we covered was already queer news. <laughs> That's true. Um, so uh, it was reported in the Edmonton Journal uh, at the, uh, in April. Um, that a well-known LGBTQ uh, advocate has filed a human rights complaint against the Edmonton Police Service, the EPS, saying an employee who took her 911 call last year repeatedly misgendered her and assumed her friend, who is also a trans woman, uh, was a sex worker. So Marnie Panis uh, filed a complaint with the Human Rights Commission uh, last month. Uh, She said, quote, I've given a whole year for the EPS to do the right thing here but I'm still not in a position where I know if I know that I'm in trouble and I have to disclose my gender status to EPS, I don't know if I will actually make that call and that scares the hell out of me, end quote. Hmm. So the complaint relates to two 911 calls Panis made April 11th, 2019, after a friend failed to check in uh, during a date. Panis and her friend had a longstanding safety check system when dating because trans people are, quote, at far greater risk of sexual and physical violence, uh, Panis's uh, complaint states. On that particular day, the friend texted her and told Panis that if she didn't hear from her by 8.30 p.m. to assume she needed help. When Panis didn't hear from her friend, she called multiple times and sent a flurry of text messages, but heard nothing by 9.15 p.m. Five minutes later, she decided to call police. Uh, Police eventually sent a car and determined that Panis's friend was not in danger. Uh, Panis said, however, that during the 911 call, the the operating dispatcher called her sir, despite being corrected. Um, Panis made a second more troubling call to police around 9.40. She identified her friend as a trans woman because she felt it would make the police better understand her concerns. Uh, Panis said she was horrified uh, when the civilian emergency communications officer responded, she claims, by saying, quote, well, they shouldn't be in that profession, now should they? Yeah, Uh, that's that's pretty horrific. A police official uh, said in a recording of the call, uh, which was reviewed by Post Media, quote, 
they're meeting with a client for something, maybe they shouldn't be meeting with these people is what I'm saying. The dispatcher later suggested, quote, she met somebody online as an escort or something, end quote. Um, Panis wanted to reiterate that her friend is not a sex worker. Uh, she said, quote, I never said the word escort. I never said the word profession. Panis replied to the employee, you made an assumption. Once I said she's a trans woman, you made an assumption that she's a prostitute with a client. And that's so wrong because you completely dismissed my concerns, end quote. During the remainder of the nine minute call, Panis said the dispatcher called her sir and buddy, even after being corrected. She has never learned the identity of the dispatcher who only gave his ID number for the purposes of a complaint to the EPS. Uh, Panis's complaint states further, the assumption that because my friend is transgender and on a date, she is a sex worker, which she is not, made me feel that we were not valued and that my friend deserved it, end quote. She finds it disturbing a police official would factor in whether someone is a sex worker while responding to a 911 call. Panis is a member of the EPS Sexual and Gender Minority Liaison Committee and says she had a positive relationship with many members of the service. Panis was personally involved with the police service's formal apology to the LGBT community, which Chief Dale McPhee delivered last May. It should be remembered, as we've talked about uh, often on this program, that the previous summer, of course, activists demonstrated during the Edmonton Pride Festival over police participation in the event uh, for reasons like this, for the police's uh, not just lack of knowledge on trans issues, but also actions that are directly harmful to trans people. So, for example, um, the point that Panis is making here is that it, it shows both sort of a disregard for trans folks and for sex workers at the same time, because the assumption was made that her friend, because her friend is a trans woman, is a sex worker, and Panis felt that she wasn't, her, her concerns over her friend's safety weren't being taken seriously because it was assumed that her friend was a sex worker. So all of this brings up the issue that, it's, that getting people's pronouns is, uh, correct is absolutely important, um, but there are other issues as well, including uh, assumptions that police make about people's criminality, um, how they treat sex workers and sex workers' safety, um, and how the assumptions they make about um, whether or not or how people should be protected given what their identity or occupation is or isn't. So following this incident, Panis decided to raise the issue of the 911 call with Superintendent Brad Doucette, who also sits on the uh, Gender and Sexuality Committee. In a printout of text between the two, Doucette was apologetic and agreed to look into the matter, saying, quote, it is moments like this where I understand the discomfort with police at Pride. I never really felt it until tonight. Panis said in, in the text. Uh, on April 17, 2019, Doucette sent a memo to McPhee outlining the issue and saying he had a recording um, preserved of the calls. In the memo, which Panis obtained through a Freedom of Information request, Doucette told McPhee he had told Panis he would submit a complaint for her and that she would not need to detail every concern in writing as the recording speaks for itself, end quote. Panis added that the response to her FOIP was addressed to Mr. Marnie Panis and Dear Sir. Oh. Yes. So in an email, an EPS spokeswoman said, because the employee in question is a civilian, they are not subject to discipline by the services professional standards branch, which makes copy of internal disciplinary matters available to the public. Right. Uh, the police spokesperson 
uh, said, quote, well, I cannot discuss the specific actions taken with the employee in question. What I can tell you is that the internal investigation revealed that the employee did not meet EPS police communications branch standards and was dealt with accordingly and in line with EPS policies and procedures governing civilian employees. Uh, the spokesperson uh, further said that the police service hasn't been formally notified of Panis's complaint, uh, but said it was, quote, prepared to cooperate fully with any investigation and or mediation that may arise. Um, the spokesperson added that there is a bias awareness module for police communication employees, and it was reviewed following the incident and, quote, continues to be reviewed and revised to ensure an incident like this does not happen again. Police are also, quote, developing uh, training on inclusive language that will be rolled out to the entire service this year, she said. Panis uh, said she wants proof the EPS employees are receiving training designed by people with expertise to make sure that bias involving trans people doesn't interfere with what could be a life or death 911 call. Uh, she worries that others who don't have her advantages experience uh, such things when they call the police, saying, quote, I'm going to be fine. My friend is going to be fine. It's not about me at this point. It's about the greater community that I know is experiencing this on a regular basis. No hearing date has been set for Panis's complaint. Uh, and all of this is being reported uh, by the Edmonton Journal. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's one of those stories where it's like, well, you think that's really bad, and then it gets worse. And then it gets worse. It's like, what else did they do wrong? Mm -hmm. What else did they do wrong that we don't even know about because there's no paper trail? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, too, it points to, like, um, again, like, is, and I think, you know, they're saying that they're going to do these training modules. Is that enough? Is that like actually getting at um, these deep prejudices that people have about marginalized communities? Um, and how does that sort of like function on a daily basis? And how do you like undo the damage that is done when folks in our community have had interactions with police or 911 or other emergency responders where it is a life and death situation and they feel like they can't get those services or that if they try to, they might actually be um, in a different sort of danger than they originally were phoning for. Right, well, thanks for that, Alexa. That's, I hadn't heard about any of that, but uh, that, so that's pretty shocking. We'll definitely have to keep an eye on what happens with that next and keep everyone updated as it unfolds. Mm. Yeah, thanks. Um, so there's another follow-up on a story that we talked about a few months ago uh, coming out of uh, Manitoba. So there was an announcement last week um, that there will be new options available for Manitoba birth certificates and death certificates. Um, so uh, Manitobans will soon have a non-binary gender option on birth certificates. And on death certificates, um, they will also have the option of not selecting a sex de designation. Um, so the province is allowing a third option in addition to, quote, male or female on official birth documents. So there was a human rights um, adjudicator uh, last November ordered that the province needs to pay $50,000 to a transgender individual who wanted the sex de designation on their birth certificate replaced with an X, but was denied. Uh, the complainant, who was identified as TA because of a publication ban, 
filed a complaint with the Manitoba Human Rights Commission after the request was turned down in 2014. The independent adjudicator who heard the case, uh, Dan Manning, ruled that the government's actions were discriminatory and gave the province six months to start offering a third gender designation. Um, so in cases like this, and we see this at the provincial level as well as the uh, federal level, often changes are made to um, different laws that offer protections to marginalized folks uh, and governments begrudgingly put them through. So you have a situation here where there's a progressive conservative government putting this legislation through um, and it, you know, it's always a, I think political scientists spend a lot of time debating whether those governments are um, happy to do that or not. Um, there are of course other provinces that have already adopted gender neutral identity documents, including here in Alberta, where you can get an X on your driver's license, um, as well as Nova Scotia, Ontario, and Newfoundland and Labrador. All right, so then I have some federal news. So there's been, uh, if folks forgot or didn't know or just don't care, uh, the uh, federal conservative party is having a leadership uh, election and they're in the campaigns right now. Um, the convention was supposed to happen in the spring. I can't remember, June, I think, wasn't it supposed to be around Pride season so that mm. that would be an issue? Right. Um, it's being uh, bumped till later because of everything that's happening with COVID. Um, but there are still, and also the ways in which the campaigns are happening is different because uh, clearly people can't hold in-person campaigns or fundraisers currently, so they're doing a lot of online uh, social media campaigning. Um, and one uh, over this past weekend, uh, it was reported um, that Peter McKay, who is running for leadership uh, among a few other people, but is thought to be the front runner currently, um, sent out uh, a message to supporters, uh, you know, um, trying to uh, make the differences between him and his closest rival, uh, who is Aaron O'Toole, um, trying to make a case for what the differences are. And uh, in it, this letter uh, says, quote, uh, Aaron O'Toole has said a lot of untrue and disappointing things during this leadership race and made a lot of accusations that I think, frankly, are beneath him. He's been a good friend in the past, someone I supported and worked with. While I haven't always agreed with him, like when he voted in favor of the transgender rights bathroom bill in 2012, I've always respected uh, that his motivations were positive, but now I'm not so sure anymore. So uh, this, uh, this came in an email um, and it was signed, he signed it as the co-founder of the Conservative Party in Canada. Um, so Aaron O'Toole did vote in support of a bill put forward by NDP MP Randall Garrison that sought to amend the Canadian Human Rights Act to include gender identity as prohibited grounds uh, for discrimination. Um, Garrison's bill cleared the House of Commons with the support of 18 Conservative MPs, including current members Michael Chong and Kathy McLeod. It was denied in the Senate and then Parliament rose for the summer and started the 2015 campaign election, so the bill died 
in that uh, in that situation. Um, but what's going on here is a few things, and people very it was quickly sort of Randall Garrison. Uh, actually posted part of this on Twitter and said, quote, I'm not sure either about someone wanting to lead us all who uses derogatory stereotypes to oppose equal rights. For some of us, Peter McKay's letter raises doubt that he could be counted on to uphold the law prohibiting discrimination and hate crimes against trans Canadians. Um, so again, the part that people are finding uh, really problematic and scary is that Peter McKay is seemingly trying to make the argument um, that he is different from Aaron O'Toole because Aaron O'Toole voted in favor of transgender rights and Peter McKay didn't uh, support him in doing so or didn't, didn't support transgender rights, at least at the time. Um, McKay's campaign, once this, this was put on Twitter and shared uh, quite widely over the weekend, McKay's campaign said the former Nova Scotia MPs grasp of trans rights issues has evolved since it was debated in the House when he was an MP. A spokesperson said McKay, who left Parliament in 2015, would have supported the Liberal government's transgender rights bill, uh, legislation, Bill C-16, that incorporate Garrison's efforts and became law in 2017. Um, so they said, quote, uh, Jordan Paquette wrote in an email, quote, had he been a member of, for the last Parliament, he would have voted in favor of Bill C-16 along many conservatives to protect transgender Canadians. Um, it should be noted too, and this is, this is being reported by the Huffington Post, that calling it a bathroom bill um, has been used uh, in the United States and Canada um, to disparage, delegitimize, and fear monger around transgender rights. So it's a red herring too. It right. may just seem like the whole thing's about bathrooms, but it's about like, it's about way more than that. It's not even about bathrooms, mm -hmm. but human rights. Yeah. But um, by labeling it a bathroom bill, it's, it's to scare people. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea, like, you know, we don't need to like lend too much time to it because this is just derogatory stuff. But the point is when people um, use the term bathroom bill, they're signaling to uh, you know, they're conservative or social conservative supporters that they um, also think that transgender rights are potentially uh, dangerous because it would enable um, people to go into every kind of washroom and um, yeah. and inflict violence when in fact, as well, we would never stop saying. It. It's about reducing the whole thing to, to just about bathrooms. Mm -hmm. That's not even the issue. I mean, it's part of the issue, but it's Oh, it's, it's, it doesn't even make sense. But yes, I know why they do it. Yeah. It's to make you think about bathrooms so that you can freak out. Um, but as we, and as I think should be said every time this is brought up, that the statistics actually show that um, trans folks are actually um, far, far more likely to experience violence um, in, a wa in, a, in a washroom than to inflict it. And there aren't any... So these, you know, we have to debunk that every time it's brought up. Um, so the spokesperson continues um, that uh, Peter McKay has, quote, consulted with members of the LGBTQ community, including members of his team, and understands the term is narrow and carries a negative connotation. Uh, it was used in an email to members late, la uh, in late one evening in haste as a point of reference and won't be used again. 
Um, so uh, his excuse then is that this email was written late at night. It was written in a very sort of hasty way and he wanted to use a shorthand to get his supporters to understand um, how he disagrees with uh, Aaron O'Toole, but it still brings up the point that like he's using Aaron O'Toole's uh, support in 2013 of trans rights as a way to distinguish himself from Aaron O'Toole, right? So it, yeah. the derogatory language is an issue, but you're still doubling down on, but this was still a way in which I tried to distinguish myself from Aaron O'Toole. Uh, he's saying that he's, you know, has members, uh, has LGBTQ members uh, on his team, and he's talked to the community. Uh, but who knows that. How, that will, how that will play out. Yeah, we've heard that from mm -hmm. all, all kinds of people. But I have gay friends, therefore I can't possibly be homophobic. So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. That's... I when we when you told me that story, I thought there was a typo. I thought that the he was trying to say that Aaron O'Toole voted against trans rights and he voted in favor. Because right. Up till now, that's kind of how they had been running their campaigns. Um, with Peter McKay trying to imply that he is the more uh, socially progressive or inclusive candidate, so I was really confused by that. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so I mean, it's, I guess we don't have pride season this year for politicians to proclaim that they love our community. Uh, so we're going to have to continue to listen to their, um, you know, social media, their fundraising emails, and their campaign speeches to see who cares about us, you know. At least they don't have to, like, make the icky decision about whether they're going to march in a pride parade this year. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's it for us, JD. Wow. I can't believe a month, only a month has passed since the last show. Yeah. Time is just an illusion. It is. It doesn't exist. <laughs> like the outside world, if all you do is watch TV. Yeah. Well, thanks for your movie suggestions. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I'll let you know in a month what else I've watched. Yeah, we'll be back. We'll maybe we'll feature. We'll talk about virtual pride in June. I'm sure the community will be figuring something out. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Have a great month and stay safe. And reach out to those queer resources if you need to. We'll be back. Uh, we'll see you in June. <laughs>